0: I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. It is the 10th of February. Um, And this morning, as I was saying good morning, I thought to myself, hmm, wonder, wonder if everybody has the same understanding of the word good. Like when I say good morning, what makes it good? Who makes it Good. How does our understanding of the goodness, the beauty, the truth of God, these transcendental virtues of who God is and how God has revealed himself in all of creation, goodness, beauty, and truth, you know, I mean, for me, that's what makes it a good morning. It's not circumstantial in terms of, you know, is the weather good? Are the things on my agenda today relatively good? Uh, am i am i anticipating you know having a relatively circumstantially good day in terms of what i expect to happen well you know what i got no idea here's what i do know it's a good morning because god is good god is great and god is good fundamentally transcendentally so like he can't help himself god is beauty, truth, and goodness. So uh, I could say beautiful morning. I could say good morning. I could say truthful morning, and all of those would stand regardless of the circumstances of, um, uh, of our lives or this moment-by-moment moment, um, reality in which we live. So the reality of God, our knowledge of him through, the rev- through his revelation of himself and his redemptive grace, that's what makes this morning good so, while I know we have a litany of prayer concerns, while I know we have a litany of things that bog down our spirit, let me declare to you this morning it is good because God is good. God is good. You can rest in that today. I've got one Religious Liberty headline out of West Virginia before we move into our conversation with our friend Ben Johnson, who is the rights writer, and we love to talk with him about what's going on in the culture today. One Religious Liberty headline out of West Virginia, Uh, I, I lift this up because it's likely to get a lot of media and social media attention today. Teachers actually forced students to attend an evangelical Christian event during school hours. Um... That uh, It should have absolutely been voluntary. Everyone acknowledges that. Everyone admits the wrongdoing of teachers who told students that uh, this was a mandatory event. And let me just say, if it had been an event promoting the adoption of Islam or recruiting students to join some other faith, if it had been a quote-unquote evangelical event that was LGBTQ-focused or something else, Christians would be outraged and rightly so, uh, and we care about the religious liberty of everybody, not just ourselves. And so, the teachers who told students that the event was mandatory and not voluntary—they were wrong. The school has apologized. The district has apologized. But some students are going to stage a walkout today in Huntington, West Virginia. That's likely to get a fair amount of media attention, and so I just wanted to make you aware of that. Uh, you know, here's the reality: uh, public schools. Um, can use can offer time on their campuses to outside groups to do events like this. However, those events cannot be compulsory. You and I would be outraged if the compulsory event had been um, some advocacy for some faith other than Christianity. And so we ought to join the outrage. Frankly, that students were forced to attend an evangelical Christian event during school hours on campus um, and were told by their teachers that their participation was mandatory. So there you go. That's uh, one religious liberty headline out of West Virginia that's likely to, uh, to be in the headlines across the board today. Ben Johnson's up next. Um, here's the conversation we're going to lead off with. How much difference does it really make? How much difference does it really make which school your child attends. You got to send your kid to the right school, or is there actually something else that matters more? We're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio.
2: is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom.
0: Ben Johnson joins us. He tweets at The Right's Writer. You can also find him at dailywire.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. All right. So I would like for you to give a good morning welcome and shout out to all of our new listeners in the Rapid City, South Dakota listening area. Welcome to those of you listening at KLMP 88.3 for the very first time today. Welcome to the Faith Radio family. Ben joins us every Thursday morning. Ben Johnson, why don't you introduce yourself to the people in the Black Hills?
2: It's great to be talking to people in the Black Hills area. Uh, so wonderful to talk to all of our listeners in South Dakota. Uh, I am the media reporter for The Daily Wire, dailywire.com, and uh, as she mentioned, my, my Twitter handles The Rights Writer, but it is so delightful to be able to share the faith on this wonderful Christian network that brings uh, elevated uh, Christian discourse to you and uh, discusses the issues from a, a truly Christian perspective, nonpartisan, uh, every single day, every morning with Carmen LaBerge.
0: You're so kind. Thank you, my brother. All right, let's talk about church and just how important church is um, in a conversation related to having our kids in the quote-unquote right schools. What's um, what's the research telling us?
2: Well, you know, there's this fascinating study, which I guarantee you're not going to see on MSNBC, CNN, (laughs) Fox News. You know, you're not going to see this on your nightly newscast, but it came from Harvard. So Harvard researchers have looked into it, and uh, they're talking about the difference in people who sent their kids to public school versus religious school. They began this study a long time ago when these kids were between 9 and 14. They're following up decades later to see the overall state of their health. And they found that there were some marginal differences. Uh, Children who went to religious schools were marginally better uh, when it came to obesity, obesity. They were less likely to be obese, they were more likely to vote, far more likely to volunteer uh, their time and to help others, and they were more likely to be forgiving. But what they found uh, that was really amazing, they said these were fairly marginal differences. Uh, What they really said made a rapid, radical difference between uh, everyone who was in this group was how often they attended religious services. And no, no other researcher had ever looked into this uh, in in this context before. They found that people who uh, attend religious uh, services are more likely to uh, to to be voters, to volunteer. They're more likely to be involved in forgiving other people, uh, which of course has better social relationships with other people as a result. Uh, they are uh, not uh, likely to be um, uh, involved with uh, many more partners before marriage, or or after, for that matter, or during. Uh, So all of those things were were very positive when it came to their public health. They said that the most important thing when you if you want to have a, a child who is raised and has good health is not so much even where they go to school, although there's a marginal benefit for religious schools. They said by far the biggest factor they could find was how often you take your children to church.
0: Yeah, here was uh, the sentence in the article at Christianity Today that you know, that stood out to me. Religious service attendance has beneficial effects uh, across different school types and stronger effects than religious schooling. This is a, an article that has lots of positive things to say about uh, the benefits of homeschooling and the benefits of religious schooling. But ultimately, in terms of a public health conversation and the overall health of the students who they tracked, uh, more beneficial to be sure your kids are engaged in a religious community, aka church, both um, you know both as a child and as an adolescent. If uh, regardless of school type, if you want them to be healthy adults, it's a very fascinating, um, very fascinating research project. You can check it out at Christianity Today. Uh, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue our conversation. We're going to pivot to uh, a conversation about religious liberty and what's going on uh, not only in classrooms uh, across the country, but something that's happening in Missouri as well. What if, in order to apply for a government job, you had to be a Christian? Would that be a problem? Yeah, we're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, he's a media reporter for Daily Wire. You can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. He also gives a lot of thought and attention to liberty, religious liberty, um, but then also our rights and freedoms that we enjoy as citizens of this great nation, and how we walk those out in uh, in an increasingly secular culture. So, Ben, talk with us about. I mean, this is a this is a flamer of a headline, man. Uh, so, talk with us about this curriculum in one class in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and they're the. The scare quotes uh, around uh, this phrase in the headline, um, obviously super-duper clickbait, how to torture a Jew as part of Bible curriculum in Chattanooga class. W- what in the world's going on here?
2: Yeah, uh, this was definitely a poor choice of words to say the very least. Uh, there's, there's a Bible class in public schools in Chattanooga, but this is Bible as literature, Bible history. Uh, it is not uh, a, a, an evangelistic kind of Bible study. Or it's not supposed to be one of the uh, teachers who was involved in this uh, evidently when he was teaching this class uh, used the the English word for the name of God in the old testament we We typically think of it as Yahweh in the King James version it's Jehovah, but um, the one of the students in the class was Jewish. And uh, her mother was very upset about this. Uh, she said that um, the student uh, told her that the parent, the teacher had mentioned during this class, quote, if you want to know how to torture a Jew, make them say this out loud. So uh, needless to say, uh, the, the child was kind of shaken by the idea. She, she was uh, concerned that perhaps this was a how-to uh, experiment. Uh, and it, reading between the lines in what's happening here, Uh, It it sounds very much like this was obviously a poor choice of words. Maybe it was uh, an attempt at a joke to engage the class or something. Uh, But uh, his proverb says, in the multitude of words, you shall not be without sin. And we know that uh, from Matthew 12, every idle word that we give, uh, we shall have an account on the day of judgment. So this was a poorly chosen uh, phrase, to say the very least. Uh, it's gone viral. And the the child was obviously uh, concerned about this. Uh, it, it also concerned the parent. Uh, the child has been taken out of this class. And, uh, you know, it, if, if we were living 20, 25 years ago, the right thing to do uh, would be for the teacher simply to say, I spoke carelessly. I obviously had no malicious intent. I'm sorry about the effect that my words had had on people. Uh, I think that uh, ultimately the uh, The ability for people to do that has been severely constricted because we live in a graceless society. Uh, In the old days, people would would make a confession, they would be forgiven, and life would go on. If if there were a need for restitution, it would also be rendered, because that's biblical justice. But instead, where people uh, refuse to forgive, where confessions are used to elevate the severity of the charge, to prove the, the intensity of the pain of the victim and then used to cancel the person, uh, it, it, it makes it less likely that in a case like this, the person will step up and say, yes, I misspoke, I should not have said that, which is what he should say.
0: When I, um, when I read this, and I, I, I thought to myself about my friends in elementary and middle and high school who were Jewish, certainly growing up in the context of a community that was largely not Jewish— um, you know, Ben. I I acknowledge and recognize that it's quite possible I could have been in a classroom where something utterly offensive to my Jewish friends would have would have I would have completely missed it, or I would have heard it as a mm-hmm. joke. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't hear, we don't have ears to hear that which offends others, unless we're listening pretty carefully and sensitive to their concerns. And so I think that for those of us who are Christians, acknowledging that, uh, you know, the, the rules apply to us as well when God says in Exodus 20, verse 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain, you know, like, I, I think that applies to me as well. I'm, I'm not going to be loose with the name of the Lord. I'm I'm not gonna casually uh damn other people in the name of God. I'm not gonna use God's name in that way. I'm not going to um I'm not gonna use the um the OMG little text reference. I'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. because I view mm-hmm. that as taking the Lord's name in vain. I view this Absolutely. in the same way. That's the conversation that I think I would want to this community to be having this community of people, and I don't know if it's possible at this point for that conversation to take place in this particular community in Chattanooga, because the you know obviously the issues are so um, hot and elevated right now. But I think the rest of us can have that conversation. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain today? What 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 does it mean for the name of God to be held in honor? Um, and and how do our Jewish neighbors feel like genuinely feel when we very casually talk about God or Yahweh or Jehovah? Um, we we do not feel the same way as they feel about the ineffable tetemogram, uh in Hebrew, and so I, I do think that it's worthy of conversation. And when it pops in the headlines, mm-hmm. we ought to be people who are uh, equipped to have the conversation.
2: Yeah, and and it builds on the least understood words of the most famous prayer in the world, hallowed be thy name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we speak the, the name of Christ, when we speak the name of the Lord God uh, Almighty, uh, Adonai, or, or whatever it is that uh, phrase that we may wish to use, when we're talking about God the Father, it's a name that we wish to sanctify, and we only mention it in a way that brings praise and honor and glory to that name or in a way that makes reference to his mighty acts. So that's that's the context uh, that we should be speaking. We should not be saying it casually. Uh, you know, if you have Jewish friends, you know when they write uh, even the word God, they don't write it all out. They will put a uh-huh. dash so that uh, when they say it it's very clear that uh, they're not taking the Lord's name in vain. I think that we can stand to learn an awful lot about the way we, spoke, we speak about the divine from following our Jewish brothers.
0: Amen. All right, let's, um, let's very quickly uh, talk about what's going on in Missouri. This headline caught my attention as well. Uh, the Missouri governor, I think, was trying to um, communicate one thing and maybe communicated something else. Tell people what's going on there
2: yeah Missouri Governor Mike Parson had uh, nominated a man for state health director who brought up the hackles of a lot of conservatives and uh, so in order to to tell them that uh, he was on their side, he told them that he would quote would not have nominated someone who does not share the same christian values end quote <laughs> that he does so uh, you know he was he was trying to tell them he's pro life my nominee is pro life we're on board we share the same point of view. And uh, as you can imagine this was this was not accepted well by certain members of the chamber who happened to be Jewish. Uh, they said that you know the Constitution has a prohibition on your saying that you will only nominate Christians. Are you saying only Christians need apply for these jobs now uh, obviously uh, the that would be a violation of the constitution uh, as as it's interpreted by the Supreme Court today uh, this This is a major problem or would be a major problem. However, the key word here is values. Uh, what he was trying to communicate was, I share a certain set of beliefs, convictions, of positions on issues, and that is informed by my faith. Christian is the modifier, but the values is the noun, and that's what I'm trying to to convey here. Uh, we know from the Scriptures, blessed is the, co- the nation whose God is the Lord— and when it comes to values that's really what we seek uh, to to uh, hold people accountable for in office Rabbi Daniel Lapin uh, holds to Christian values far more than uh, maybe Nancy Pelosi who is a professing Catholic a professedly a devout Catholic so you know would you rather have someone who is Jewish who shares your values uh, or would you rather have someone who is putatively Christian but violates those values that's really what's important for those of us who uh, who are Christian and seek to uh, elevate uh, our nation, see that it is blessed by the Lord, that uh, the people share our values, and that uh, whoever is elected has a track record of actually following through with those values. That's what's most important for us. So I, I don't think that uh, he intended to say that he would only uh, nominate someone who is Christian, uh, but all of us should make sure that the values that they propound are the ones that are found in the Old and New Testaments.
0: I think our ability to articulate what those are, like, I think my ability to talk about truth and my value of truth, and then my value of honesty in the individual, um, my appreciation for charitable um, service— my understanding of the equality of every person because we're image bearers of the living God, like those are the values out of which I'm operating every day. Are those Christian values? Yes. Um, But do I have to hang the Christian moniker on it in a conversation in a secular culture? I think that's the learning maybe, Ben, that I'm trying to do here. Um, If I would enumerate the values instead of seek to categorize them as expressly or distinctively Christian, I might, I might be able to find more common ground with more people. I might get more heads nodding up and down than heads wagging side to side. And so I think that the lesson here is to, to think about um, the broad concerns of a secular audience even when I am seeking to articulate my position as a Christian.
2: You know, it's funny. We used to call them Judeo-Christian values, and that was intended to be a bit more inclusive for the two great uh, faiths that built the Western culture. Uh, in in secular nations, uh, particularly in Europe, they use the term universal values, which I think is misleading. These values are, are anything but universal as we look around the world, even uh, in the West today, uh, perhaps especially in, uh, in the West in certain respects. So uh, when, when it comes to how to convey this, I think that we're in something of a conundrum uh, simply because these are values that have been associated with the past and uh, all of which have been tarred by, uh, particularly by the media to put on my other hat, uh, because they've been said to be offensive or deliberately uh, discriminatory in certain aspects that are tied up with American history. And those are not Christian actions. Those are American actions performed by Christians. So we have to make a lot of distinctions when we get into that.
0: Maybe we ought to be reclaiming the, the language of universal values because those would be the ones we're ultimately talking about. I, I You might have not just spurred. M-
2: yeah, not not only ahead. that, I think we need to reclaim the universe.
0: Yeah, amen. Amen. And the rainbow while we're at it. Okay, amen. that's uh, Ben Johnson. That's all the time we have for our conversation today. But you can hear Ben here every Thursday. He's a media reporter for Daily Wire. You can read what he's writing at Daily Wire You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, I just want to celebrate for a moment. Uh, Many of you have asked, hey, what was the outcome of all that champion raising we did? For One Child, um, where we raised up uh, individual champions for children around the world in the most desperate of poverty situations. Um, Thank you to everyone who uh, is participating in an ongoing way by being a child champion with one child um, through the Northwestern Media Network Network. I don't have the exact number, but it's well over a thousand children um, sponsored uh, who found champions. And so that's not just a thousand children whose lives are individually changed, but families and communities as well. So thank you to each and every one of you um, who, who, you know, stood up and said, you know what, I can champion a child. So thank you so much for that. If you missed out on that opportunity, one child uh, is in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media, and certainly you can still uh, still take advantage of that opportunity to sponsor a child in a very, very desperate uh, situation of poverty um, around the world. All right, next up, we are going to talk with Jason Romano. You may recognize him from ESPN. He is now with Sports Spectrum. We thought it would be fun to talk with Jason during this, well, Super Bowl week. So who are you rooting for? Do you even care? It's okay if you don't. Jason's got things to say to you as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Really fun to have Jason Romano with us today. You might recognize him from ESPN. He now works with Sports Spectrum. Jason, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Good morning, Carmen. It's so good to be with you.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have you. I know we want to have a conversation about the Super Bowl and um, and all that's going on there, but I'd love to just start with your transition from ESPN to Sports Spectrum. There may be people who are not familiar with Sports Spectrum, so can you just um, introduce us?
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Sports Spectrum is the intersection of sports and faith, and it's a it's a I call it a media ministry. It's media, just like any other media, but our goal is probably a lot like your show and many others, is to glorify God and to bring Jesus into the sports conversation. And so that's what Sports Spectrum is. We have a website with tons of content, videos, articles, devotionals. We have a podcast network, a show that I get to host every day. So that's Sports Spectrum. Uh, My departure from ESPN, I mean, I worked there for 17 years. I worked in uh, local radio um, in my beginning of my career for three years, so I was 20 years in the business and I loved it. I just felt this pulling and this call from God probably five years ago or so to do more for him, not knowing what that meant. And then Sports Spectrum came along and God opened up a door and provided a way and now I'm I'm there and I've been loving the time I've spent there and the work that we get to do, it just feels more purposeful, you know? And And I love sports and I love being here at the Super Bowl this week and being able to talk to athletes and uh, players and coaches and broadcasters, but the mindset is just different because we want to talk to them about things that they don't talk about with other outlets and that is their faith. So I'm, I'm honored to be, on, to be able to do that and be a part of Sports Spectrum and it's been a real fun few years there.
0: So if, if people were to check in today at SportsSpectrum.com, one of the articles that they're going to see is about the Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, the subhead. Mm. Priorities are faith, family, friends, and football in that order. Um, so anything you want to say about Zach Taylor, your coverage of the upcoming Super Bowl this weekend?
1: Yeah. So Zach's an interesting guy because we didn't know a whole lot about him. And that's kind of the beauty of being at a Super Bowl, right? There's some of these athletes – You know, a few of them that I've known and I've had relationships with and been able to talk to on our show, but many that we haven't. And thankfully, the NFL has been wonderful in giving us credentials, and it allows us to talk to people like Zach Taylor and ask them questions that are a little different than just the X's and O's and preparation for the big game. And so for Zach, it it was wonderful to hear that he's a believer, that his priorities, as you mentioned, are faith and then everything else. Uh, I I would tell you yesterday, I got to talk to Cooper Cup, who works with the, you know, obviously the wide receiver with the Los Angeles Rams. And Cooper was the best receiver in football this year, the best wide receiver. And I just asked him what he was learning from the Lord uh, on this journey throughout the year. And his answer was amazing. He talked about how if he didn't have all the accolades and all the wins, he still would have considered this year his best year because of the relationships that he made, because of his growth in his faith. It was just a really neat answer. And again, it reminds me of the kind of content that we get to do and get to share with people that you can't really find anywhere else in a sports media landscape. So that's what we've been doing. Uh, we're on Radio Row here in Los Angeles, which if you know anything about Super Bowl and Radio Row, it is just massive. It's in a huge convention center with you know, 200 radio stations and other media outlets represented. Everybody gets a table and people just kind of come through and do a bunch of interviews throughout the day. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, we're very fortunate to be here. Uh, but again, our purpose is, is you know, central-minded on bringing glory to God in the work that we do.
0: We're talking with Jason Romano from Sports Spectrum. You can connect with him at sportsspectrum.com um share with us uh you know you've mentioned this about talking with cooper cup and we've talked um a little bit about the coach for the Bengals. um you also have an article up on defensive back michael thomas now for those of us who um well we don't know a whole we we like to watch football (laughs) but okay what is a defensive back and why should i be excited about knowing michael thomas
1: OK, that's a good question. I'm glad I'm glad you're asking it that way. So a defensive back, you, you play on the defense. Obviously, there's offense and defense in a football game. And the offense has the quarterback and the wide receiver and the running back and the offensive line. The defense has, you know, linebackers and safeties and people that are trying to tackle the guy with the ball. And that's what Michael Thomas does. He's a guy that, you know, when you watch a football game on the very opening kickoff, you know the kicker kicks it down to the other team and that's sort of that moment when all the flash bulbs and the cameras are going and michael is on that side of running down and trying to tackle a guy who catches the ball so that's michael thomas why should you care about michael thomas i think it's because he loves jesus and his his mindset when you when you hear his answers and he's going to be on our on our podcast literally as this releases and people can go and listen to it you'll hear his heart is to glorify god his heart is mm-hmm. to just listen to what the lord wants him to do and then follow that and this was a guy who wasn't even supposed to be in football this year and he got a call about 2 months ago thinking he was retired and the bengal's called him and said come on over and come play with us we need we need your help he he came over and now he's in the super bowl and a, a chance to be a world champion so michael's got a great story and you know he lost a couple of relatives in the last few years to some unfortunate tragedies. So he's overcome a lot just to be where he is. And I'm a huge Michael Thomas fan.
0: All right. I love that. Um, So who else should we be keeping a close eye on this week, just in terms of, you know, having brothers in Christ on the field who we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't even know that was the case if you weren't, um, you know, letting us in on that.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. There's, there's a ton of guys. That's why i like to You know, mentioned Cooper Cup, who I talked to yesterday. That's a guy who a lot of people in the football world would know. I mean, this is the best receiver. Because he has a cool name. And he's got a cool name, right? Cooper Cup. And, uh, you know, he's number 18. So watch him. He'll probably catch a lot of passes on Sunday. I would say, you know, watch Michael Thomas. He's number 31 on the Bengals. Root for him. Uh, There's a guy named Trey Hendrickson on the Bengals. He wears number 91. And he's what they call a pass rusher. Uh, who goes and he rushes the passer and tries to sack him. And every time he gets a sack, he points up you know, to God. And we talked to him about his faith. And his desire, again, was to glorify his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every time he makes a play and let people see that through him on the football field. So I would definitely recommend the, the people that we already mentioned, but certainly Trey Hendrickson is a great guy on the Bengals. He's a really good player, number 91.
0: All right. Cooper Cup plays for the LA Rams, um, and you can find his story at Sports Spectrum as well. We are talking with Jason Romano of Sports Spectrum. He is in LA this week covering the Super Bowl. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Jason Romano, you can find him at SportsSpectrum.com. He's in L.A. this week covering the events related to the Super Bowl between the L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals, whose uniforms I like better, and so maybe I'm rooting for them. how do, you, how do you choose, Jason? I mean, like when you're covering something, can you also be a fan? And if so, are you kind of like uh, always just a fan for the underdog? Like what's your strategy for cheering these days? So
1: <laughs> my personal strategy is there's teams that I rooted for since I was seven or eight years old that I still root for. So when my teams are playing, I'm still a huge fan. When they're not playing in a situation like the Bengals and the Rams, I'm just rooting for a good game. Uh, I'm rooting for, you know, uh, a close game, something that keeps my interest as a fan. But I'm also rooting for the stories because Sports Spectrum is a unique niche in the sense that we cover sports in faith. So we're not just going to do a story on the Bengals winning or the Rams winning just to do it. We want to find that unique twist that maybe there's a player or a coach or a GM or somebody, front office person, that thanks the Lord or – that points to God or talks about their journey with faith and and Jesus. We want to look for that and be able to share that story. So I'm rooting for the stories. So the players that we mentioned earlier, I'm rooting for them to do well because I know that will be a story that we can cover. So I guess from a personal standpoint, I'm just a fan who loves sports and want to see a good game, but I'm also rooting for really for some of the guys that we cover because I want to be able to see our stories and see our team do, you know, our, uh, our media, (laughs) you know, that we cover and the stories that we cover, I want to see those uh, kind of flourish as well, uh, because it points to God in the articles that we do. So we're rooting for the guys that we know are believers as well. and want to see them do well.
0: So Jason Romano hosts the Sports Spectrum podcast, which you can find uh, actually a whole list of podcasts at sportspectrum.com. Um, you can, uh, there's these great interviews that Jason does, um, weekend and week out stories at the intersection of faith and sports. And so really just wonderful, fun stuff. Um, let's pivot for just a moment here away from the Super Bowl And I just, you know, part of what we're trying to do on our show, Jason, is bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. And so Mm. when I think of the intersection of faith and sports right now, one of the, Um, one of the headlines and the deeper conversations that we're trying to have is the participation of biological males in female sports. I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if you could just help us wade into that very difficult territory.
1: Yeah, this is is such a tough topic, I think, in the sense of, you know, when when you're a person of faith, you want to love others the way Christ loves us. And certainly you don't want to Derange or to or not derange, but um defame or or I actually don't want to treat people in a in a terrible way. Obviously, so mm-hmm. you want to come out come it from a place of love, but from a from the perspective of just a person who loves sports, I just I have a problem with it only because of what you just said, and I, it's a hard topic, Carmen. It really is because I, you know, just coming from from a place of a person who played sports who loves sports there's clearly an advantage. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm all about, I guess what you would call inclusiveness and letting everyone get a shot in that sense, but kind of right is right. And wrong is wrong in certain situations. And to me, this is clearly not a good situation for those other women. I mean, I have a, I have a daughter who plays sports and if, you know, she's playing a sport and there's somebody else in that situation who comes in and just dominates, and you start to find out more details and you wait, wait a minute, they're, they're actually biologically different. Um, that's a tough one for me. And I would probably have an issue with that, especially if it kept her from having an equal chance on trying to, you know, perform and succeed in that way. So uh, it's a, it's a hard one for me because I really want to come from a place of love here. But at the same time, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, to me, it's kind of obvious that it's, it's not a fair situation. And I don't know what can be done about it, but it's unfair. Well, I I think think
0: fairness—no, I think fairness is the question, and I think that's a um, good—you know, that is a good conversation to surface with people who are having a hard time having the conversation, just to talk about, well, what is—how are you going to define fairness— um, on the field of play, whatever the field of play is, you know, even if it's a swimming pool. So I think that sure. you know that that conversation about fairness is a really, really good one. Hey, I know yeah. that you um, you published a book in the summer of twenty twenty. I confess, I missed it. Tell me about the <laughs> well. Tell me about the uniform of leadership.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a thank you for asking. It's it's interesting. I told you before we started recording. Like, I guess my plan was to release a book and be able to talk about it with people, but you know the pandemic kind of shut everything down. And I'm, I'm glad that it released when it did just in the sense of being able to accomplish what we accomplished. But yeah, it's a book about leadership. You know, I spent 17 years at ESPN and I, I learned a ton of leadership lessons from working there. I spent time with some of the biggest name athletes and people in the entertainment world in the job that I had. So I decided to put a book out, but I really didn't just want to share stories from working at ESPN. I wanted this book to have a greater purpose. And that purpose to to look at God and look at Jesus as the ultimate example of what leadership is about. And the uniform of leadership was birthed from that. So I share stories, but I also put application into place on how we all can be better leaders by serving, by being like Jesus. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus talks about coming to be served or coming to serve and not be served and giving his life as a ransom for many. And that to me is the essence of the uniform of leadership, which is to, <laughs> to serve others, especially in the sports place, but it could be anywhere. In whatever sphere of influence, wherever you work, as leaders, we are called, like Jesus, to serve. And that's ultimately why I wrote the book, is to point people to Christ and see how much of an unbelievable leader, the greatest leader that there ever was, was him. And so that's the uniform of leadership. <laughs>
0: I feel like every once in a while we should have you on um, to help us at this intersection of sports and faith um, and every once in a while to do a movie review. So the last movie that we went to see (laughs) as a family was American Underdog, Um, the the story of Kurt Warner. We totally loved it. So I just want to know from a sports perspective, did you love it?
1: I did. I did. We were... We were fortunate to see an early screening, and then I watched the actual finished movie in the theater, and my goodness, what a great movie. I'd known Kurt and his story for years, so it wasn't surprising to know the outcome, if you will, but to watch how it was put together. I know the director pretty well, Andy Irwin, and to know his heart behind it, I thought it was a great movie. I would highly recommend the family go see it. Uh, I think it's coming out on DVD in a couple weeks or something, and you can watch it that way too, but Yeah. American Underdog was awesome. And if you ever want movie reviews, Carmen, I mean, call me, let's talk movies. I'm all in.
0: That's (laughs) what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you could be our like sport movie guy. And then you could be our like, okay, sport guys in the headlines who I don't know much about, but we all here are good guys. (laughs) Like you could be that guy. So we're going to call on you again. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. So, and you live in the great state of Connecticut, which we have lots of listeners in Connecticut um, through our affiliate station there in Hartford. So shout out to uh, the great state of Connecticut this morning. Those of you listening on one FM and AM 1290. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge Our guest has been Jason Romano. Check out what he's working on at Sports Spectrum. Um, you can also listen right there uh, to his podcast, SportsSpectrum.com. Jason, have a great week in L.A. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Carmen, thanks for asking me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. That's Jason Romano. You can meet him at jasonromano.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Alrighty. um, Thank you again for including me in your day. A couple of listener questions during our conversation with uh, Jason Romano. Um, One is, you know, what was that Kurt Warner movie that you just referenced? It's called American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. Uh, May or may not still be in theaters, but definitely soon coming out on DVD. We saw it in theaters um, maybe a month ago. Uh, And so, but it's great, 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 great movie. Um, Okay, and then others um, texting in asking a little bit more about the challenges that biologically female athletes are facing uh, as they are having to compete against athletes, you know, who are biologically male, but who identify as transgender women. So I thought I would bring you up to date on um, what's going on at the state legislature, you know, the level of the state legislatures across the country. So states are adopting laws related to um, this controversy and question. Maybe the latest is South Dakota um, became the first state this year, the 10th across the country to pass legislation uh, really supporting biologically female athletes. Um, Senate Bill 36 in the state of South Dakota was entitled an act to protect fairness in women's sports passed by that state legislature um, and signed into law. Other states where laws now exist to protect biologically female athletes from unfair competition from men who are competing as women um, are Idaho, Montana, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Florida. If you're interested in having that conversation in your state, there is certainly now uh, a lot of material out there for you to look at and ask um, your state legislature to consider as well. Uh, Governor Kristi Nome on February 3rd signed South Dakota's Fairness Act into law which allows only females based on their biological sex to participate in, quote, girls or, quote, women's interscholastic, intercollegiate, intermural, and club sports. And so um, it's an effort to, you know, ensure that the playing field is literally fair, that women, girls compete against girls and women compete against women um, in terms of the actual biology of being girls and women not based on someone's um, perception of themselves as a girl or a woman, even if they are biologically male. So the lesson for today, you and I have to stand up for the truth. Um, In a post-truth culture where people are allowed um, to express their own personal delusion, even about their biological identity, um, we have to be people of truth. And we have to speak the truth in love, but we have to speak the truth. There is no post-truth culture. That just doesn't, there is no such thing. I know that uh, Merriam-Webster, you know, recognizes post-truth as, uh, as a word and as a popular word. But the reality is there is no post-truth culture. There is truth. And the truth endures. Why? Because it's one of the transcendental virtues of God. Goodness, beauty, and truth. We started with Good morning. Maybe we go into a day of truth and truthfulness. Yes, being beautiful demonstrations of the gospel that others might see in us the goodness, beauty, and truth of the Lord our God. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.